Christchurch, New Malden, Sunday the 5th of December 2021, 11 o'clock service. Stephen Kurt speaking in the series, How They Looked Forward to Jesus, Moses. I wonder how good you are at Spot the Difference. Spot the Difference exercises. You see them from time to time, you know the ones I mean, where you get a couple of pictures and you have to spot the difference between them. Now, have a look at that picture on the screen. Similar to a number that Nathan in particular uh, uses with our children uh, in their groups, and they have to spot the difference. You've got a few seconds to look and spot the differences between those two pictures of Moses and the Israelites crossing the Red Sea. How many are you gonna get? I should have put the countdown clock on, shouldn't I? Do, 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 do. So, how many are you gonna get? Who is going to win? Spot the difference. Okay. Put up your hand if you've got four. Oh, put up your hand if you've got five. Oh, very good. Put up your hand if you've got six. Okay, can we now reveal the answers? There they are. So actually, there were eight differences between those two pictures. Okay. And those are fun little exercises, aren't they? Some people are very good at doing them, can do them very quickly. Other people take a little bit longer. But actually, sometimes we have to do this in real life. So, for instance, the school that I taught at would tend to have, it wasn't a huge school, but it would tend to have at any time two or three sets of identical twins. And even before I had my own twins and so got extra interested in twins, I was always rather fascinated by twins. And I'd set myself as a teacher to really try and make sure that I knew the differences between these identical twins that would be in the school. Because I wanted to be confident about using the right name for them and relating to them as individuals. So spot the difference isn't just something for little exercises, something it's important to be able to do in real life as well. But what's, I think, even more fascinating when it comes to families is when we start to spot similarities, similarities that go beyond just identical twins. When we spot family likenesses across generations, for instance. Now, sometimes this is very obvious. And other times we gradually notice it. Someone might say something, we think, oh, they're just like their father, or they're just like their mother, or whatever. And sometimes it's only when we see a photograph of someone at the same age as another person in their family, that we really see how similar they are. Now, this picture here on the screen is of a father and son, but at the same age. And it's a striking similarity, isn't it? They're even wearing a similar shirt. Now, every human being is, of course, unique. But particularly where families are concerned, there can be some uncanny similarities alongside the differences. And what we're doing during this Advent is a sort of combination of spot the similarity and spot the difference. We're looking for the most part at Old Testament characters who pointed ahead to Jesus. Last week we looked at the patriarchs with Ruth, Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. Next week we're looking at King David with David. And this week we're looking at the figure of Moses. And the family illustration is actually a very relevant one here. Because all of these people were part of the one family of God, weren't they? The patriarchs were so-called because they were the fathers of the people of Israel. And Moses, David, and ultimately Jesus belong to that single family. And learning to read the Old Testament as Christians 
is essentially about learning to read it with Jesus as its goal. And this always involves us in doing a bit of spot the similarity and a bit of spot the difference, because both are relevant when it comes to understanding how the Old Testament prefigured and pointed towards Jesus. So the morning, this morning we're thinking about Moses. Who was Moses? Well, a lot of you will know already that Moses was the leader of the people of Israel. Not at any old time, but at a particularly crucial time when the people were rescued by God from slavery in Egypt. That's the story that I spoke about a few weeks ago when I spoke about Holy Communion. God, according to that story, rescued the people of Israel by leading them out of Egypt through the Red Sea, didn't he? And once he'd done that, he led them to Mount Sinai, God's holy mountain, where Moses received the law. The law told the Israelites how God wanted them to live. But while Moses was up the mountain, the people turned away from God, they worshipped an idol that they'd made, and it brought God's judgment upon them. But thanks to Moses pleading on their behalf, the Israelites were forgiven. And God gave them sacrifices to deal with their ongoing sin. Because the people of Israel would keep on sinning, they needed sacrifices to continually deal with that sin. Because of that sin, the Israelites couldn't progress straight to the land that God had promised them. They had to wander for 40 years in the wilderness or the desert. But God was nonetheless with them. And after 40 years, the people, though not Moses, were able to enter again through water into the promised land. Now, it's a good story. It's a great one for our children to colour in and do in their children's groups. It's one totally sacred to Jews. But what's it got? to do with Jesus. The New Testament writers would say it's got everything to do with Jesus. All of the New Testament says that the story of Moses is crucial to understanding the story of Jesus, but Matthew's Gospel in particular shows us this by telling the story of Jesus in ways that deliberately echo the story of Moses. So, when, after Jesus was born, a threatened King Herod tries to kill Jesus by massacring all of those children under two in Bethlehem. Do you remember that? Sounds familiar? Yes, says Matthew. It's familiar because something very similar happened when Moses was born. And a deeply threatened pharaoh of Egypt tried to kill all the Israelite baby boys that were threatening his power. Back to the Christmas story. To get away from the danger of Herod, Mary, Joseph and baby Jesus, they escaped into Egypt, didn't they? And they were later led out of Egypt again after Herod had died. Sounds familiar? Yes, says Matthew, because something very similar happened when having taken the people of Israel into Egypt under the first Joseph, one with the coat of many colours, God later led them out again through Moses. Later on in the Gospel story, back to that, Jesus, uh, at the beginning of his work, was plunged by water, plunged by John into the River Jordan underwater, wasn't he? And then declared to be God's son. Sounds familiar? familiar? Yes, says Matthew. It is familiar because something very similar happened when the people of Israel were led out of slavery and declared by God's, to be God's son by being brought through the waters of the Red Sea. Still later on, Jesus in the Gospel story calls 12 followers and he goes up a mountain 
and gives them God's instructions about how to live, the Sermon on the Mount. Sounds familiar? Yes, says Matthew, because something very similar happened when the 12 tribes of Israel were at Mount Sinai, where Moses went up the mountain to receive God's law. Matthew, in other words, and this goes for all of the other New Testament writers, wants us to place spot the similarity between Jesus and the Old Testament stories, including that of Moses. And he wants us to do that because he knows that if we do that, we'll understand Jesus much better. But when we do this, the New Testament writers want us to place spot the difference as well. They want us to play a double game. They want us to read the story of Jesus, spotting the similarities, but also the differences to the Old Testament stories that came before. So when we do this, when we play this double game, if I can put it that way, spot the similarity and spot the difference, what do we find? Well, we're going to look at three themes as we do this. And the first of them is this, Moses and Jesus as the means of God's rescue. What happens when we pay spot the similarity there? Well, spot the similarity shows us that just as Moses was the means of God rescuing the Israelites from the evil of slavery, so Jesus is the means of rescuing us from the power of evil. That's spot the similarity. But spot the difference shows us that the rescue that Jesus brought was much deeper than that of Moses. And that's because rather than evil being just present within particularly wicked people like the Pharaoh, each evil actually runs through every single one of us, doesn't it? As human beings, we're capable of doing the most amazing things, but we also know, if we're honest, that we're capable of doing the most terrible things as well. And that's why it won't just do for us to be rescued from the baddies. Just rescued from baddies like the pharaohs or indeed the herods of this world. Jesus does come to bring that rescue, certainly in an ultimate sense. He's more than Moses, but he's certainly not less. But Jesus comes to do much more than that. Jesus comes to rescue us from the biggest problem of all, which is the evil that runs through not just particularly obviously bad people, but through every single one of us. The power of sin, the power of evil over our lives. And this shows in another spot the similarity and spot the difference. You might remember when we looked at Holy Communion, I mentioned Moses commanding the Israelites to put the blood of a lamb on their doorposts. Why? So that the angel of death would pass over their houses, enabling them to escape from Egypt. Spot the similarity shows us why Jesus is described in John's Gospel as the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world. Because Jesus' death, just like the blood of that lamb on the doorposts, is what protects us from death and judgment. That spot the similarity, but spot the difference shows us that because Jesus' death was the perfect sacrifice, no further ones were needed. You see, because the Israelites kept sinning and kept being in a state of sin, God through Moses had to give those animal sacrifices. 
that had to be constantly repeated. There were constant sacrifices that were taking place in the tabernacle and then later on in the temple when that was built. But the New Testament, particularly the letter to the Hebrews, makes it clear that the death of Jesus, that sacrifice, was not only perfect, it was once and for all. We don't need to offer any more sacrifices because our sin has been dealt with. It's been dealt with by Jesus' death. We're permanently forgiven. We're permanently restored by God. And that's the first crucial part of spot the similarity, but spot the difference when it comes to understanding how Moses pointed the way to Jesus. But a second area is this. Moses and Jesus as teachers of how God wants us to live. Spot the similarity, as I mentioned earlier, is reinforced by Moses giving the law and Jesus giving his teaching on mountains. And both the law and the commandments of Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount were about how God wants us to live. That's why Jesus said, again in Matthew's Gospel, that he didn't come to abolish the law, he came to fulfil it. So that's spot the similarity. But where spot the difference comes in is how Jesus came to fulfil that law. You see, the problem with the law of Moses was that it didn't bring the power to obey that law. And that meant that good whilst those laws were, the law of Moses, because it brought God's instructions but not God's power to actually make people inwardly want to and obey those commands, it simply brought death and judgment. That was in that passage that we read from Paul's second letter to the Corinthians. But it all changed through the coming of Jesus. Because Jesus defeated the power of evil when he died, this meant that God's spirit could finally come. And because that spirit came, he could change people's hearts. And it finally enabled God's law to be fulfilled in his people. Supremely because the spirit brought a capacity for people to love. And the New Testament is quite clear that love is the fulfilment of God's law. All of those laws in the Old Testament, what they pointed to in various different ways, was actually the supremacy of love. And when the Holy Spirit makes us develop lives of love, we are fulfilling God's commands for how we're to live. And that links to a final theme where we can play spot the similarity and spot the difference in regard to Moses and Jesus, which is this. Moses and Jesus as intercessors and channels of God's presence. An intercessor is when someone pleads on someone else's behalf. And both Moses and Jesus in the Bible stories, they do that on behalf of God's people. And that's because they both had a special access to God's presence. Now that spot the similarity, and it's important for helping us understand that just as Moses prayed for God's forgiveness to come on the Israelites, so the risen Jesus is constantly praying on our behalf as well. And actually that's a really amazing thought, isn't it? Jesus, God's own son, praying constantly on our behalf interceding to the Father on our behalf, praying for that forgiveness, that acceptance before the Father that we all need, all based 
on what I said earlier, that once and for all sacrifice. But Jesus now constantly praying, interceding on our behalf. So spot the similarity helps us to understand that a bit more. But spot the difference is crucial here as well. And again, it's reflected in that passage from 2 Corinthians, the one Dick read to us earlier. With Moses, you see, the presence of God was limited and it was temporary. Moses alone, we're told, was able to meet with God by entering the tent of meeting. The Israelites weren't all able to go in there and meet with God. Only really Moses could do that. And Moses, what's more, had to wear a special veil afterwards to protect people from the glory of God that was shining out from his face. When Moses had spent time with God, God's glory sort of, you know, inhabited Moses and shone so much, he had to wear a veil to protect the Israelites from that glory because of their continuing sinfulness. But even under that veil, we're told the glory of God was gradually fading away. And it's telling that Moses himself, because of his sinfulness, was never able to enter the promised land. But this is where spot the difference is so important. Jesus, on the other hand, brought the full and permanent presence of God because he was the perfect one who was able to enter into the inheritance and rejoin his Father in heaven. And because of that, the coming of the Holy Spirit means that in the final words of this passage, that we, who with unveiled faces all reflect God's glory, the Lord's glory, are being transformed into his likeness with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. You see, the biggest and the most amazing spot the similarity in the Bible story is actually between us and God. Spot the difference is the most obvious thing to say about human beings and God, isn't it? Because throughout the Bible, there's so much about the sinfulness of human beings and all of the terrible effects of this, things that we see only too strongly in the world around us. But before sin entered the world, human beings were made in God's image, weren't they? They were made in God's likeness. And it's that family likeness that God is resolved to restore taking the first steps towards this through people like the patriarchs and then Moses and David, but ultimately bringing that about through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ and the work of the Holy Spirit who puts God's law into our hearts. Enabling with, uh, engaging rather with the story of Moses helps us to understand this a bit better because it shows us the working that took place before Jesus came. So does the story of the patriarchs and David. When I was at school, you didn't just have to get the right answer in maths. That was hard enough for me. You had to show the working to demonstrate that you'd really understood the answer. Well, the patriarchs and Moses, and as we'll see next week, David, are all part of the working of that God who wanted to restore the family likeness within the people that he'd made and who came to fully and finally restore those people through his son, Jesus Christ. Why did he do that? So that with unveiled faces, we could reflect the glory of God through the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. <laughs>